Chapter Zero of the War of Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Foster. The War of Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization by Monsignor George F. Dillon. Preface. The following pages contain the substance of two lectures given a few months ago in Edinburgh. The selection of subjects upon which they treat, and indeed the fact of their being delivered at all, were, it may be said, accidental. The author, a missionary priest, was, after over twenty years' labour in Australia, compelled for health reasons to visit Europe, and during the past season took advantage of an opportunity to make a tour through Scotland. His object in visiting that historic land was first to gratify his Scotch friends and converts in Australia by a sojourn, however brief, in a country, and in several special localities of it, which he knew to be very dear to them, and next to satisfy his own desire of seeing the progress of religion in that, as well as in the other portions of the British islands which he had already visited. The condition of the church in Ireland and her advance amidst the adverse influences with which she has had to contend in England and Scotland are of intense interest to Australian Catholics, and an Australian missionary who visits these countries is supposed to bring back much information regarding the state of religion in each one of them. Scotland, besides, is so full of historic reminiscences, and so favoured by nature with splendid scenery, that a visit to Europe is incomplete without a look upon its rugged hills, its romantic lakes, and lovely valleys, now made so interesting by the works of Sir Walter Scott and other writers. The land once evangelized by Columba and his bands of missionary saints has besides an indescribable charm for a Catholic missionary. He went, therefore, with great pleasure to Scotland, and he cannot speak too highly or too thankfully of the kindness which the venerable Archbishop of Glasgow, the bishops and the clergy he happened to meet with, showed him. But, with the exception of a Sunday sermon to oblige the good pastor of whatever locality he happened to pass through, it was his fixed intention not to speak publicly during his rather rapid progress through the country. It happened, however, that on coming to Edinburgh he found an old and very dear friend and college companion in charge of the most populous Catholic district of the metropolis, and in deference to the earnest solicitations of that friend, he departed from his resolution, and gave during the few days his stay lasted, first, a lecture on secret societies for the benefit of a large and flourishing Catholic association for men, and secondly, as a sequel to that, a lecture on the spoliation of the propaganda. Both lectures were delivered extemporaneously, that is to say, so far as the language which conveyed their substance was concerned. The matter, however, had been made familiar to the speaker by many years of observation and reading. Very flattering, and in some cases very full reports of them, appeared in Catholic newspapers. The report of the principal Protestant organ of public opinion in Edinburgh, the Scotsman, was very fair, but another paper bitterly resented what it chose to consider an attack on Freemasonry and freedom. It was not, however, so much in the hope of diverting Protestants from Freemasonry as in the desire to show to Catholics that all kinds of secret societies were as bad as, if not worse than, Freemasonry, were in fact united with, and under the rule of, the worst form of Freemasonry, that the lecturer essayed to speak at all upon the subject. If what he said could influence anyone outside the Church from joining the worse than folly of British Masonry, he would rejoice at the result. But his principal aim was to save his own co-religionists from an evil far more pernicious to them than British Masonry has ever been to Protestants. In this latter design he was glad to learn that he had considerable success, and amongst those who heard or read his utterances very many expressed a desire to see what he happened to have said in a permanent form. 
Notwithstanding the difficulties of doing this with any effect during a vacation tour, he determined at whatever cost to himself to gratify their wishes, and therefore took advantage of a few weeks' rest while spending Christmas in his alma mater, All Hallows College, Dublin, to put both lectures into the shape in which he now presents them to such as may desire to read them. It must, however, be remembered that these lectures are nothing more than what they were originally that is, casual discourses, and not formal and exhaustive treatises on the subjects upon which they touch. For convenience he has divided each one into separate headings, and where necessary to illustrate the text he has added notes. These are necessary in order to form a clear idea of the whole matter treated. Notes, however, are not always proofs, and proofs, however difficult to be obtained against opponents intent on concealment, must nevertheless be forthcoming in order to convince. He has therefore embodied in the text several documents which were only referred to, or but partially quoted in the spoken lectures. Those now occupy many pages of the lecture upon secret societies, and will, he believes, be read with considerable interest by such as have not previously been acquainted with them. The permanent instruction, and the letters of Vindex and Piccolo Tigre, originally published by Monsieur Cretineau Jolie from the archives of the Alta Vendita, after they were fortunately discovered by the Roman police, are of this class. Certain extracts are also given of equal value. Most of those documents have been translated into English from French translations of the original Italian and German, and one passage, that of Mr. Robison on Freemasonry as the cause of the First French Revolution, is taken from a translation from the English into French, redone into English, as it was impossible to find the original work of Mr. Robison, which, though extremely valuable, is, he believes, long out of print. The documents regarding the spoliation of the propaganda have been translated from the Latin and Italian originals. He has endeavored to translate all such documents as literally as possible, so as to preserve their value as evidences. The first lecture, which he has entitled The War of Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization, is intended to treat, in as brief space as possible, the whole question of secret atheistic organization, its origin, its nature, its history in the last century and in this, and its unity of satanic purpose in a wonderful diversity of forms. To do this with effect, it was necessary to go over a large area of ground, and to touch upon a great variety of topics. The writer was conscious that much of this ground and many of these topics would be very much better known to a large number of his readers than to himself. Nearly every matter he had to speak about had been already very frequently handled ably and exhaustively in our Catholic reviews, magazines, and newspapers. But notwithstanding this fact, very few, if any, attempts have been made in our language to treat the subject as a whole. Many articles which he has seen propose to treat some one feature only of the atheistic conspiracy, for example, Freemasonry or the infidel war upon Christian education and Christian institutions, or the revolution in Italy, or the efforts of sectaries against the temporal power of the Pope, and against the welfare of Christian states generally. Several writers appeared to assume as known that which was really unknown to very many, and few touched at all upon the fact, a fact no doubt difficult to prove from the strict and ably guarded secrecy which protects it, of the supreme direction given to the universality of secret societies from a guiding, governing, and, even to the rank and file of the members of the secret societies themselves, unknown and invisible junta ceaselessly sitting in dark conclave and guiding the whole mass of the secret societies of the world. 
if it be difficult at this moment to point out the place of meeting and the members of that powerful body its existence can be proved from past discoveries of the secret workings of the order and from present unity of action in numberless occurring circumstances amongst a vast multitude of men whose essential organization consists in blind obedience to orders coming down through many degrees from an unknown source which thinks and orders for the purposes of the whole conspiracy the great object in order to understand the nature of such a conspiracy is to find out the ends for which those who framed or adopted it took it up for instance infidelity as it is now known in the world never it may be said existed to any appreciable extent before the time of voltaire voltaire devoted his whole life to spread infidelity and destroy christianity when we see voltaire and his disciples eagerly seize upon freemasonry and zealously propagate it as a means to their ends we may reasonably infer it was because they judged masonry fitting for their infidel and anti-christian purposes this is further confirmed when we see masonry adopted by all men of their principles without exception and it becomes proved to demonstration when we see its organization seized upon as the basis of further and more complex planning for the avowed purposes of ruining christianity and placing atheism in its stead french atheism using masonry thus perfected produced what it aimed at during the reign of terror in france which as we shall see is only a prelude to what it means one day to accomplish throughout the entire world in order to make these facts clear the writer so far as the form of a single lecture would allow has given as much of the history and character of both voltaire and freemasonry as might serve to show the adaptability of the latter to the designs of the former he has spoken of the union and illuminism of masonry through the instrumentality of weishaupt and has shown the immediate consequences of the organization and influence of that arch-conspirator in the first french revolution and its outcome the consulate and the empire he deemed it a duty to dispel the glamour of false glory which many christian writers have aided in throwing over napoleon i a real child of freemasonry and revolution and to represent him in his true colours for though it cannot be denied that napoleon restored the church it is equally true that his half-hearted measures in favour of religion tended to deaden that strong reaction against atheism which even robespierre's attempts could not control while the encouragement he gave to freemasonry caused that organization to so powerfully permeate europe that it has since controlled the civilized world with a subtle powerful force which nothing has been able to stay save the catholic church alone under the headings mentioned the author has given the salient phases of the action of the whole dread conspiracy he has dwelt at considerable length on its efforts in italy and in europe generally he has given in extenso documents of the dark directory which rules all the secret societies of the world these documents give the key to that satanic policy which guides the revolution to this day he adopts the opinion of eckert deschamps segur and other grave continental authorities as to the fact that lord palmerston succeeded nubius as chief of the inner circle and consequently grand patriarch of all the secret societies of the world and he judges this not only from the testimony of henry misley one of the alta vendita under nubius and palmerston but much more from the suicidal revolutionary policy which palmerston adopted when foreign minister of england and which leaves that country now without an ally in the world this policy suited the conspirators of europe but no man should have known better than palmerston that it could not suit great britain it was the reversal of all that the best british statesmen had adopted as safeguards against the recurrence of bonapartism and revolution after the peace obtained at waterloo but palmerston was made a monarch to become a slave to the secret sects and for their view he unceasingly laboured regardless of country or of any other consideration 
the existence of two parties in secret society organization is a fact not generally known but it explains many things and events daily occurring both on the continent and at home which would be otherwise inexplicable it explains how ministers like cavour can sometimes in play of course imprison generals like garibaldi how theers could crush the commune and how ferry can make show of being adverse to anarchists in paris nevertheless the anarchists are the children of the sovereign directory their highest leaders are men of the inner circle if policy requires a revolution or an outrage anarchists of the rank and file are led on to make it and are generally left also to their fate a fate in its turn made use of for the purposes of the general revolution the inner circle of high conspirators in the solitude of their dark plottings manage all and find uses for all politics with them are mere playthings upon great social movements upon discontented populations upon corruption distraction and contention they rely to bring their one redoubted enemy the catholic church to what they call the tomb there are few people on earth more concerned with this fact than the irish people the irish people are now found not only in ireland but outside ireland in large centres of industry where action of the international association of workmen and other kindred working men's associations have most influence it must be borne in mind that the amelioration in the condition of the working man is never attempted by the international without coupling with it the strongest hatred for christianity nothing proves more clearly its origin and its connection with the supreme directory of the cosmopolitan atheistic conspiracy against religion and order than this one fact in eighteen seventy the society had on its rolls ten millions of members its numbers have yearly increased since at the famous international congress held in geneva in eighteen sixty eight it formulated the following declaration which has since been more than once acted on by its members on the continent Manifesto the object of the international association of workmen as of every other socialist association is to do away with the parasite and the pariah now what parasite can be compared to the priest who takes away the pence of the poor and of the widow by means of lying what outcast more miserable than the christian pariah god and christ these citizen providences have been at all times the armor of capital and the most sanguinary enemies of the working classes it is owing to god and to christ that we remain to this day in slavery it is by deluding us with lying hopes that the priests have caused us to accept all the sufferings of this earth it is only after sweeping away all religion and after tearing up even to the last roots every religious idea christian and every other whatsoever that we can arrive at our political and social ideal let jesus look after his heaven we believe only in humanity it would be but to fail in all our duties were we to cease even for a second to pursue the monsters who have tortured us down then with god and christ down with the despots of heaven and earth death to the priests such is the motto of our grand crusade this address gives the true spirit and aim of the international league which has emissaries everywhere striving to decoy working men into secret society intrigues in america it has already led irish catholic laborers into lamentable excesses it has under its control some seemingly laudable benefit societies which it uses as a means to draw catholics gradually from the influence of the church the necessity therefore of being prepared for its efforts must be evident to everyone from the general consideration of secret societies the author turns to their action amongst ourselves he gives the most salient features of british freemasonry its oaths passwords and signs 
he shows to what extent it differs from continental masonry and how it is essentially unlawful and dangerous he then passes to the principal point of his lecture so far as his auditory were concerned fenianism all that he had stated before here becomes of use as explanatory of the nature of that mischievous conspiracy which had its rise development and ending if indeed it has ended while the author was engaged upon the australian mission but he has given ample proof of its designs from admitted authorities the history of its founders he has taken from a source that cannot be impugned the works of the late mr a m sullivan of the nation the other articles on the sad endings of the conspirators and the wonderful indestructibility of irish faith rest upon their own merits a discourse which aimed at illustrating the words of our holy father leo the thirteenth could not be complete without a reference to such societies as the wisdom of the great pontiff has pointed out as fitted for christian men the author therefore speaks in favor of the excellent temperance society he found already in action connected with the catholic institute as a sovereign antidote against secret societies of every description and as the best remedy for those ills he could not help witnessing when passing through edinburgh and other great centres of population in england and scotland he plainly refers to the evil which certain idle agitators bring in those cities amongst poor good-natured but credulous irish catholic working men he believes that nine-tenths of the pabulum which keeps such pernicious seducers in employment would be destroyed if Irish working men could be removed from the influence of persons who make profit out of their unfortunate drinking habits, and that misfortune of nearly every temporal kind would cease for them if they became temperate and continued to practice those virtues which Catholic confraternities with strict sobriety as a first rule foster he has therefore given his aid in advocacy of such societies as are calculated to keep the irish in england and in scotland and indeed everywhere sober a quality which with habits of industry economy and thrift enables them to live happily and to bring up families educated fairly provided for and a credit instead of a shame to the country and the religion of their parents the necessity of compressing a large amount of matter into the small space at his disposal has caused many of the topics touched upon to be treated very inadequately considering their claims to attention he has however given as much fact and matter as he could even at the risk of occasionally sacrificing smoothness and ease in writing his desire was to give within the shortest limits as full complete and consecutive a view as possible of the whole subject he undertook to treat under any one of the headings given a volume and in some cases a very large and interesting volume could be written facts however tell for themselves and in most instances he has left to the intelligent reader the task of drawing the inferences indeed his principal object in printing these lectures at all and his chief hope has been to direct the attention of those whom it most concerns to the question of secret organizations as a whole to point out the fact that there exists an able vigilant body of men trained for years in the work of conspiracy who never cease to plot for the destruction of christianity and of christian social order amongst mankind and that the success of these men has hitherto arisen mainly from their astute and ceaseless efforts to remain concealed the world in all its past history has never been accustomed to deal with such a body the sworn secret society anywhere is what mr a m sullivan tells us it is in his admirable description of its action in dublin in his time its policy then was to stifle every form of irish public opinion except that which supported its own views every other expression was to be prevented by emissaries who found their way into every popular gathering and by secret concert known to themselves alone and not even so much as suspected by others were able to make public opinion seem to be in favour of the policy of their chiefs 
If these emissaries failed, others of the secret brotherhood menaced the adverse popular leaders with loss of business and character, with violence, and even death. With every one of these evils, the secret society men of the time threatened Mr. Sullivan. He, however, foiled their astuteness and braved their menaces. He succeeded in escaping, but it was much more owing to the conscience remaining amongst some of the Irish Fenians than to the mercy of the organization itself. This incident, which is related at length in Mr. Sullivan's New Ireland, gives a true idea of the action of every secret society organization, working under many apparent public pretenses, for the ends of its chiefs. The ruses of a bird to draw away attention from the nest of its young is but a faint resemblance of what every secret society does to avoid detection, either of itself or of its intentions or doings. It scruples to commit no crime, not even murder, to divert suspicion, and to remain concealed. Concealment is, and has been from the beginning, the very essence of its inward organism and of its outward policy. It is vain, therefore, to suppose that because no visible manifestation of its presence appears, or because some evidences, always suspicious when they are shown, of its dying out, or becoming ridiculous, impotent, or dead, appear, that there is no further danger to be dreaded from its attempts. It has the cunning of the serpent, and the patience, too. It can feign itself dead to save its head from being crushed. The author of these pages was assured in Rome that it was all nonsense to suppose that secret societies any longer existed in Ireland, that they were the things of the past which Irish faith had banished. In a few days after, however, the world was startled by the deeds of the Invincibles, led on, as was subsequently discovered, by a miscreant who had used the cloak of the most sacred practices of religion to conceal his real character and to win confederates, and then victims, to his infernal designs. Now, if the following pages prove anything, it is that over the whole world there exists a formidable conspiracy, the War of Antichrist, carried on by a secret directory ruling every form of secret society on earth, and losing no chance of seducing men from God by first bringing them, under some pretense or other, within its ranks. It is certain that this directory will not lose sight of the Irish race in the future any more than in the past that most likely in the future its plans for seducing them from or turning them for political or other reasons against the church will be laid more astutely and less visibly than ever these methods by which these high conspirators deceive change continually and in the constantly recurring political agitations of ireland a wide field is open which they are certain to cultivate to the best advantage for the ruin of souls Unceasing vigilance is required, therefore, to guard against their machinations and unceasing diligence in exposing their aims. The Holy Father, in his late celebrated bull, Humanum Genus, has therefore manifested his desire that the bishops, the clergy, and even the laity of the church should join in exposing Freemasonry and other such societies. But without a proper knowledge of the conspiracy as a whole, that cannot be done. The author attempts to give such knowledge but he hopes that his efforts may be improved upon by others more able than himself, and that he may have the happiness before long of seeing some compendium of the whole subject in English, which might form a textbook for seminarists and others to whom the future fate of the people of God in dangerous days is to be committed. All he could do in the time at his disposal was to give a popular idea of the subject. The works which he has chiefly used for this purpose are those of Cretino Joly, Eckert, Segur, Dubanlu, and Deschamps as edited by Monsieur Claude Janet, Together with the current information given in the Civilita Catholica and other Catholic reviews and periodicals, 
He believes, moreover, that as philosophical studies of the soundest kind on the basis of St. Thomas have, through the care of the Holy Father, assumed their proper influence in ecclesiastical education, seminarists, and others also, should study the practical growth of these pantheistic and immoral principles to which that philosophy is opposed. The fundamental basis of Freemasonry, as perverted or illuminated by Weishaupt, is pantheism, and positivism and all the isms which the philosophers of the sect have since introduced are meant ultimately to cause pantheism and its attendant practical immorality to dominate over the earth. It is a new form of the oldest seduction. Eat the forbidden fruit, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil and is always accompanied with that other lie of the liar and the murderer from the beginning, No, ye shall not die the death. Furthermore, it must be remembered that the secret societies have little dread of mere denunciation. Exposition, calm and just, is that of which they are most afraid. The masses in them are nearly always in that sad condition through deception. The light thrown vividly upon the real nature of the secret sect, the gentle, kind indulgence of the church mourning over the ruin and yearning for the return of her children, put before them, will do wonders to win back Irish victims from secret societies. Mere abuse does no good. For the rest, prevention is better than cure, and the time seems to have arrived when in schools, in preparation for First Communion, in constant, well-judged recurrence in the instructions given to the people, in lectures and articles in our Catholic newspapers, the evil of secret societies, too sure to manifest itself in many countries, should be made known to all classes of the faithful, who can thus be easily trained in such a way as to treat the secret society, or any emanation from it as their ancestors treated heresy, and reject, even at the peril of their lives, the unclean thing. Sound Catholic associations, temperance, and pious confraternities are the remedies pointed out by the Holy Father, and these will preserve the portions of the flock already untainted, and retain those whom grace and zeal may bring back to the fold of Christ. End of the Preface